0: Section 16 of Why Do We Need a Public Library by Various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Barrard. Section 16 of Why Do We Need a Public Library by Various. Of the production of ideas by Erasmus Darwin from Zoonomia part one philosophers have been much perplexed to understand in what manner we become acquainted with the external world insomuch that dr berkeley even doubted its existence from having observed as he thought that none of our ideas resemble their correspondent objects mr hume asserts that our belief depends on the greater distinctness of or energy of our ideas from perception and mr reed has lately contended that our belief of external objects is an innate principle necessarily joined with our perceptions so true is the observation of the famous Malbran, quote, that our senses are not given us to discover the essences of things but to acquaint us with the means of preserving our existence a melancholy reflection to philosophers some philosophers have divided all created beings into material and immaterial the former including all that part of being which obeys the mechanic laws of action and reaction but which can begin no motion of itself the other is the cause of all motion and is either termed the power of gravity or of specific attraction or the spirit of animation this immaterial agent is supposed to exist in or with matter but to be quite distinct from it and to be equally capable of existence after the matter which now possesses it is decomposed nor is this theory ill supported by analogy since heat electricity and magnetism can be given to or taken from a piece of iron and must therefore exist whether separated from the metal or combined with it from a parity of reasoning the spirit of animation would appear to be capable of existing as well separately from the body as with it i beg to understand that i do not wish to dispute about words and am ready to allow that the powers of gravity specific attraction electricity magnetism and even the spirit of animation may consist of matter of a finer kind and to believe with st paul and malbranch that the ultimate cause only of all motion is immaterial that is god st paul says quote, in him we live and move and have our being in the fifteenth chapter to the corinthians distinguishes between the psyche or living spirit and the numa or reviving spirit by the words spirit of animation or sensorial power i mean only that animal life which mankind possesses in common with brutes and in some degree even with vegetables and leave the consideration of the immortal part of us which is the object of religion to those who treat of revelation part two one of the sense of touch the first idea we become acquainted with are those of the sense of touch for the foetus must experience some varieties of agitation and exert some muscular action in the womb and may with great probability be supposed thus to gain some ideas of its own figure of that of the uterus and of the tenacity of the fluid that surrounds it as appears from the facts mentioned in the succeeding section upon instinct many of the organs of sense are confined to a small part of the body as the nostrils ear or eye whilst the sense of touch is diffused over the whole skin but exists with a more exquisite degree of delicacy at the extremities of the fingers and thumbs and in the lips the sense of touch is thus very commodiously disposed for the purpose of encompassing smaller bodies and for adapting itself to the inequalities of larger ones the figure of small bodies seems to be learnt by children by their lips as much as by their fingers on which account they put every new object to their mouths when they are satiated with food as well as when they are hungry and puppies seem to learn their ideas of figure principally by the lips in their mode of play we acquire our tangible ideas of objects either by the simple pressure of this organ of touch against a solid body or by moving our organ of touch along the surface of it in the former case we learn the length and breadth of the object by the quantity of our organ of touch that is impressed by it in the latter case we learn the length and breadth of objects by the continuance of their pressure on our moving organ of touch it is hence that we are very slow in acquiring our tangible ideas and very slow in recollecting them for if i now think of the tangible idea of a cube that is if i think of its figure and of the solidity of every part of that figure i must conceive myself as passing my fingers over it and seem in some measure to feel the idea as i formerly did the impression at the ends of them and am thus very slow in distinctly recollecting it when a body compresses any part of our sense of touch what happens first this part of our sensorium undergoes a mechanical compression which is termed a stimulus secondly an idea or a contraction of a part of the organ of sense is excited thirdly a motion of the central parts or of the whole sensorium which is termed sensation is produced and these three constitute the perception of solidity two of figure motion time place space number no one will deny that the medulla of the brain and nerves has a certain figure which as it is diffused through nearly the whole of the body must have nearly the figure of that body now it follows that the spirit of animation, or living principle, as it occupies this medulla, and no other part, which is evinced by a great variety of cruel experiments on living animals. It follows that this spirit of animation has also the same figure as the medulla above described. I appeal to common sense. The spirit of animation acts. Where does it act? it acts wherever there is the medulla above mentioned and that whether the limb is yet joined to a living animal or whether it be recently detached from it as the heart of a viper or frog will renew its contractions when pricked with a pen for many minutes of time after its exception from the body does it act anywhere else no then it certainly exists in this part of space and nowhere else that is it hath figure namely the figure of the nervous system which is nearly the figure of the body when the idea of solidity is excited as above explained a part of the extensive organ of touch is compressed by some external body and this part of the sensorium so compressed exactly resembles in the figure of the body that compress it hence when we acquire the idea of solidity we acquire at the same time the idea of figure and this idea of figure or motion of a part of the organ of touch exactly resembles in its figure the figure of the body that occasions it and thus exactly acquaints us with this property of the external world now as the whole universe with all its parts possesses a certain form or figure if any part of it moves that form or figure of the whole is varied hence as motion is no other than a perpetual variation of figure our idea of motion is also a real resemblance of the motion that produced it it may be said in objection to this definition of motion that an ivory globe may revolve on its axis and that here will be a motion without change of figure but the figure of the particle x on one side of this globe is not the same figure as the figure of y on the other side any more than the particles themselves are the same though they are similar figures and hence they cannot change place with each other without disturbing or changing the figure of the whole our idea of time is from the same source but is more abstracted as it includes only the comparative velocities of these variations of figure hence if it be asked how long was this book in printing it may be answered whilst the sun was passing through Arl. our idea of place includes only the figure of a group of bodies not the figures of the bodies themselves if it be asked where is nottinghamshire the answer is it is surrounded by derbyshire Lancashire, and leicestershire hence place is our idea of the figure of one body surrounded by the figures of other bodies the idea of space is a more abstracted idea of place excluding the group of bodies the idea of number includes only the particular arrangements or distributions of a group of bodies and is therefore only a more abstracted idea of the parts of the figure of the group of bodies thus when i say england is divided into forty counties i only speak of certain divisions of its figure hence arises the certainty of the mathematical sciences as they explain these properties of bodies which are exactly resembled by our ideas of them whilst we are obliged to collect almost all our other knowledge from experiment that is by observing the effects exerted by one body upon another three of the penetrability of matter the impossibility of two bodies existing together in the same space cannot be deduced from our idea of solidity or of figure as soon as we perceive the motions of objects that surround us and learn that we possess a power to move our own bodies we experience that those objects which excite in us the idea of solidity and of figure oppose this voluntary movement of our own organs as whilst i endeavour to compress between my hands an ivory ball into a spheroid and we are hence taught by experience that our own body and those which we touch cannot exist in the same part of space but this by no means demonstrates that no two bodies can exist together in the same part of space galileo in the preface to his works seems to be of opinion that matter is not impenetrable mr michel and mr boscovitch in his Theoria philus nature have espoused this hypothesis which has been lately published by dr priestley to whom the world is much indebted for so many important discoveries in science history of light and colours page 391 the uninterrupted passage of light through transparent bodies of the electric ether through metallic and aqueous bodies and of the magnetic effluvia through all bodies would seem to give some probability to this opinion hence it appears that beings may exist without possessing the property of solidity as well as they can exist without possessing the properties which excite our smell or taste and can thence occupy space without detruding other bodies from it but we cannot become acquainted with such beings by our sense of touch any more than we can with odors or flavors without our senses of smell and taste but that any being can exist without existing in space is to my ideas utterly incomprehensible my appeal is to common sense to be implies a when and a where the one is comparing it with the motions of other beings and the other with their situations if there was but one object as the whole creation may be considered as one object then i cannot ask where it exists for there are no other objects to compare its situation with hence if anyone denies that a being exists in space he denies that there are any other beings but that one for to answer the question where does it exist is only to mention the situation of the objects that surround it in the same manner if it be asked when does a being exist the answer only specifies the successive motions either of itself or of other bodies hence to say a body exists not in time is to say that there is or was no motion in the world four of the spirit of animation but though there may exist beings in the universe that have not the property of solidity that is which can possess any part of space at the same time that it is occupied by other bodies yet there may be other beings that can assume this property of salinity or disrobe themselves of it occasionally as we are taught of spirits and of angels and it would seem that the spirit of animation must be endured with this property otherwise how could it occasionally give motion to the limbs of the animals or be itself stimulated into motion by the obtrusions of surrounding bodies as of light or odour if the spirit of animation was always necessarily pen- penetrable it could not influence or be influenced by the solidity of common matter they would exist together but could not detrude each other from the part of space where they exist that is they could not communicate motion to each other no two things can influence or affect each other which have not some property common to both of them for to influence or affect another body is to give or communicate some property to it that it had not before but how can one body give that to another which it does not possess itself the words imply that they must agree in having the power or faculty of possessing some common property thus if one body removes another from the part of space that it possesses it must have the power of occupying that space itself and if one body communicates heat or motion to another it follows that they have alike the property of possessing heat or motion hence the spirit of animation at the time it communicates or receives motion from solid bodies must itself possess some property of solidity and in consequence at the time it receives other kinds of motion from light it must possess that property which light possesses to communicate that kind of motion and for which no language has a name unless it may be termed visibility and at the time it is stimulated into other kinds of animal motion by the particles of sapid and odorous bodies affecting the senses of taste and smell it must resemble these particles of flavour and of odour in possessing some similar or correspondent property and for which language has no name unless we may use the names saporosity and odorosity for those common properties which are possessed by our organs of taste and smell and by the particles of sapid and odorous bodies as the words tangibility and audibility may express the common property possessed by our organs of touch and of hearing and by the solid bodies or their vibrations which affect those organs five finally though the figures of bodies are in truth resembled by the figure of the part of the organ of touch which is stimulated into motion and that organ resembles the solid body which stimulates it in its property of solidity, and though the sense of hearing resembles the vibrations of external bodies in its capability of being stimulated into motion by those vibrations, and though our other organs of sense resemble the bodies that stimulate them in their capability of being stimulated by them, and we hence become acquainted with these properties of the external world yet as we can repeat all these motions of our organs of sense by the efforts of volition or in consequence of the sensation of pleasure or pain or by their association with other fibrous motions as happens in our reveries or in sleep there would still appear to be some difficulty in demonstrating the existence of anything external to us in our dreams we cannot determine this circumstance because our power of volition is suspended and the stimuli of external objects are excluded but in our waking hours we can compare our ideas belonging to one sense with those belonging to another and can thus distinguish the ideas occasioned by irritation occasioned by irritation from those excited by sensation volition or association thus if the idea of the sweetness of sugar should be excited in our dreams the whiteness and hardness of it occur at the same time by association and we believe a material lump of sugar present before us but if in our waking hours the idea of the sweetness of sugar occurs to us the stimuli of surrounding objects as the edge of the table on which we press or green colour of the grass on which we tread prevent the other ideas of the hardness and whiteness of the sugar from being exerted by association or if they should occur we voluntarily compare them with the irritative ideas of the table or grass above mentioned and detect their fallacy we can thus distinguish the ideas caused by the stimuli of external objects from those which are introduced by association sensation or volition and during our waking hours can thus acquire a knowledge of the external world which nevertheless we cannot do in our dreams because we have neither perceptions of external bodies nor the power of volition to enable us to compare them with the ideas of imagination part three of vision our eyes observe a difference of colour or of shade in the prominences and depressions of objects and that those shades uniformly vary when the sense of touch observes any variation hence when the retina becomes stimulated by colours or shades of light in a certain form as in a circular spot we know by experience that this is a sign that a tangible body is before us and that its figure is resembled by the miniature figure of the part of the organ of vision that is thus stimulated here whilst the stimulated part of the retina resembles exactly the visible figure of the whole in miniature the various kinds of stimuli from different colours mark the visible figures of the minuter parts and by habit we instantly recall the tangible figures thus when a tree is the object of sight, a part of the retina resembling a flat branching figure is stimulated by various shades of colors, but it is by suggestion that the gibbosity of the tree and the moss that fringes its trunk appear before us. These are ideas of suggestion which we feel or attend to associated with the motions of the retina or irritative ideas which we do not attend to so that though our visible ideas resemble in miniature the outline of the figure of coloured bodies in other respects they serve only as a language which by acquired associations introduce the tangible ideas of bodies hence it is that this sense is so readily deceived by the art of the painter to our amusement and instruction the reader will find much very curious knowledge on this subject in bishop berkeley's essay on vision a work of great ingenuity the immediate object however of the sense of vision is light this fluid though its velocity is so great appears to have no perceptible mechanical impulse as was mentioned in the third section but seems to stimulate the retina into animal motion by its transmission through this part of the sensorium for though the eyes of cats or other animals appear luminous in obscure places yet it is probable that none of the light which falls on the retina is reflected from it but adheres to or enters into combination with the coroi coat behind it the combination of the particles of light with opaque bodies and therefore with the cory coat of the eye is evinced from the heat which is given out as in other chemical combinations for the sunbeams communicate no heat in their passage through transparent bodies with which they do not combine as the air continues cool even in the focus of the largest burning-glasses which in a moment vitrifies a particle of opaque matter part four of the organ of hearing it is generally believed that the tympanum of the ear vibrates mechanically when exposed to audible sounds like the strings of one musical instrument when the same notes are struck upon another nor is this opinion improbable as the muscles and cartilages of the larynx are employed in producing variety of tones by mechanical vibration so the muscles and bones of the ear seem adapted to increase or diminish the tension of the tympanum for the purposes of similar mechanical vibrations. But it appears from dissection that the tympanum is not the immediate organ of hearing, but that, like the humors and cornea of the eye, it is only of use to prepare the object for the immediate organ for the Portio mollusk of the auditory nerve is not spread upon the tympanum but upon the vestibulum and cochlea and semicircular canals of the ear while between the tympanum and the expansion of the auditory nerve the cavity is said by dr cotunus and dr Meckel to be filled with water as they had frequently observed by freezing the heads of dead animals before they dissected them and water being a more dense fluid than air is much better adapted to the propagation of vibrations we may add that even the external opening of the ear is not absolutely necessary for the perception of sound for some people who from these defects would have been completely deaf have distinguished acute or grave sounds by the tremors of a stick held between their teeth propagated along the bones of the head Hence it appears that the immediate organ of hearing is not affected by the particles of the air themselves but is stimulated into animal motion by the vibrations of them and it is probable from the loose bones which are found in the heads of some fishes that the vibrations of water are sensible to the inhabitants of that element by a similar organ the motion of the atmosphere which we become acquainted with by the sense of touch are combined with its solidity weight or vis inertia, whereas those that are perceived by this organ depend alone on its elasticity but though the vibration of the air is the immediate object of the sense of hearing yet the ideas we receive by this sense like those received from light are only as a language which by acquired associations acquaints us with those motions of tangible bodies which depend on their elasticity and which we had before learned by our sense of touch part five of smell and of taste the objects of smell are dissolved in the fluid atmosphere and those of taste in the saliva or other aqueous fluid for the better diffusing them on their respective organs which seem to be stimulated into animal motion, perhaps by the chemical affinities of these particles, which constitute the sapidity and odorosity of bodies, with the nerves of sense which perceive them. Mr. De has lately observed a curious circumstance relative to our sense of taste: if a bit of clean lead and a bit of clean silver be separately applied to the tongue and palate, no taste is perceived but by applying them in contact in respect to the parts out of the mouth and nearly so in respect to the parts which are immediately applied to the tongue and palate a saline or acidulous taste is perceived as of a fluid like a stream of electricity passing from one of them to the other this new application of the sense of taste deserves further investigation as it may acquaint us with new properties of matter from the experiments above mentioned of galani volta Fowler, and others it appears that a plate of zinc and a plate of silver have greater effect than lead and silver if one edge of a plate of silver about the size of half a crown piece be placed upon the tongue and one edge of a plate of zinc about the same size beneath the tongue and if their opposite edges are then brought into contact before the point of the tongue a taste is perceived at the moment of their coming into contact secondly if one of the above plates be put between the upper lip and the gum of the fourteenth and the other be placed under the tongue and their exterior edges be then brought into contact in a darkish room a flash of light is perceived in the eyes these effects i imagine only show the sensibility of our nerves of sense to very small quantities of the electric fluid as it passes through them for i suppose these sensations are occasioned by slight electric shocks produced in the following manner by the experiments published by mr bennett with his ingenious doubler of electricity which is the greatest discovery made in that science since the coated jar and the induction of lightning from the skies it appears that zinc was always found minus and silver was always found plus when both of them were in their separate state hence when they are placed in the manner above described as soon as their exterior edges come nearly into contact so near as to have an extremely thin plate of air between them that plate of air becomes charged in the same manner as a plate of coated glass and is at the same instant discharged through the nerves of taste or of sight and gives the sensations as above described of light or of saporosity and only shows the great sensibility of these organs of sense to the stimulus of the electric fluid in suddenly passing through them part six of the sense of heat there are many experiments in chemical writers that evince the existence of heat as a fluid element which covers and pervades all bodies and is attracted by the solutions of some of them and is detruded from the combination of others thus from the combinations of metals with acids and from those combinations of animal fluids which are termed secretions this fluid matter of heat is given out amongst the neighbouring bodies and in the solutions of salts in water or of water in air it is absorbed from the bodies that surround them whilst in its facility in passing through metallic bodies and its difficulty in pervading resins and glass it resembles the properties of the electric aura and is like that excited by friction and seems like that to gravitate amongst other bodies in its uncombined state and to find its equilibrium there is no circumstance of more consequence in the animal economy than a due proportion of this fluid or heat for the digestion of our nutriment in the stomach and bowels and the proper qualities of all our secreted fluids as they are produced or prepared partly by animal and partly by chemical processes depend much on the quantity of heat the excess of which or its deficiency alike gives us pain and induces us to avoid the circumstances that occasion them and in this the perception of heat essentially differs from the perceptions of the sense of touch as we receive pain from too great pressure of solid bodies but none from the absence of it it is hence probable that nature has provided us with a set of nerves for the perception of this fluid which anatomists have not yet attended to there may be some difficulty in the proof of this assertion if we look at a hot fire we experience no pain at the optic nerve though the heat along with the light must be concentrated upon it nor does warm water or warm oil poured into the ear give pain to the organ of hearing and hence as these organs of sense do not perceive small excesses or deficiencies of heat and as heat has no greater analogy to the solidity or to the figures of bodies than it has to their colours or vibrations there seems no sufficient reason for our ascribing the perception of heat and cold to the sense of touch to which it has generally been attributed either because it is diffused beneath the whole skin like the sense of touch, or owing to the inaccuracy of our observations, or the defect of our languages. There is another circumstance would induce us to believe, that the perceptions of heat and cold do not belong to the organ of touch, since the teeth, which are the least adapted for the perceptions of solidity or figure, are the most sensible to heat or cold whence we are forewarned from swallowing those materials whose degree of coldness or of heat would injure our stomachs the following is an extract from a letter of dr r w darwin of shrewsbury when he was a student at edinburgh Quote, i made an experiment yesterday in our hospital which much favours your opinion that the sensation of heat and of touch depend on different sets of nerves a man who had lately recovered from a fever and was still weak was seized with violent cramps in his legs and feet which were removed by opiates except that one of his feet remained insensible mr york pricked him with a pen in five or six places and the patient declared he did not feel it in the least nor was he sensible of a very smart pinch i then held a red hot poker at some distance and brought it gradually nearer till it came within three inches when he asserted that he felt it quite distinctly i suppose some violent irritation on the nerves of touch had caused the cramps and had left them paralytic, while the nerves of heat having suffered no increased stimulus retained their irritability Unquote. add to this that the lungs though easily stimulated into inflammation are not sensible to heat part seven on the sense of extension the organ of touch is properly the sense of pressure but the muscular fibres themselves constitute the organ of sense that's, that feels extension the sense of pressure is always attended with the ideas of the figure and solidity of the object neither of which accompany our perception of extension the whole set of muscles whether they are hollow ones as the heart arteries and intestines or longitudinal ones attached to bones contract themselves whenever they are stimulated by forcible elongation and it is observable that the white muscles which constitute the arterial system seem to be excited into contraction from no other kinds of stimulus according to the experiments of heller and hence the violent pain in some inflammations as in the paramecia obtains immediate relief by cutting the membrane that was stretched by the tumour of the subjacent parts hence the whole muscular system may be considered as one organ of sense and the various attitudes of the body as ideas belonging to this organ of many of which we are hourly conscious while many others, like the irritated ideas of the other senses, are performed without our attention. When the muscles of the heart cease to act, the refluent blood again distends or elongates them, and thus irritated they contract as before. The same happens to the arterial system, and I suppose to the capillaries, intestines, and various glands of the body. When the quantity of urine or of excrement distends the bladder or rectum those parts contract and exclude their contents and many other muscles by association act along with them but if these evacuations are not soon complied with pain is produced by a little further extension of the muscular fibres a similar pain is caused in the muscles when the limb is much extended for the reduction of dislocated bones and in the punishment of the rack and in the painful cramps of the calf of the leg or of other muscles for a greater degree of contraction of a muscle then the movement of the two bones to which it ends are affixed will admit of must give similar pain to that which is produced by extending it beyond its due length and the pain from punctures or incisions arises from the distension of the fibres as the knife passes through them for it nearly ceases as soon as the division is completed all these motions of the muscles that are thus naturally excited by the stimulus of distended bodies are also liable to be called into strong action by their catenation with the irritations or sensations produced by the momentum of the progressive particles of blood in the arteries as in inflammatory fevers or by acrid substances on other sensible organs as in the strangler, or tenesimus or cholera we shall conclude this account of the sense of extension by observing that the want of its object is attended with a disagreeable sensation as well as the excess of it in those hollow muscles which have been accustomed to it this disagreeable sensation is called faintness emptiness and sinking and when it arises to a certain degree is attended with syncope, or a total quiescence of all motions but the internal irritative ones as happens from sudden loss of blood or in the operation of tapping in the drops part eight of the appetites of hunger thirst heat extension the want of fresh air, animal love, and the suckling of children. Hunger is most probably perceived by those numerous ramifications of nerves that are seen about the upper opening of the stomach, and thirst by the nerves about the fauces and the top of the gula. The ideas of these senses are few in the generality of mankind, but are more numerous in those who by disease or indulgence desire particular kinds of foods or liquids a sense of heat has already been spoken of which may with propriety be called an appetite as we painfully desire it when it is deficient in quantity the sense of extension may be ranked amongst these appetites since the deficiency of its object gives disagreeable sensation when this happens in the arterial system it is called faintness and seems to bear some analogy to hunger and to cold which like it are attended with emptiness of a part of the vascular system the sense of want of fresh air has not been attended to but it is as distinct as the others and the first perhaps that we experience after our nativity from the want of the object of this sense many diseases are produced as the jail fever plague, and other epidemic maladies animal love is another appetite which occurs later in life and the females of lactiferous animals have another natural inlet of pleasure or pain from the suckling their offspring the want of which either owing to the death of their progeny or to the fashion of their country has been fatal to many of the sexes. the males have also pectoral glands which are frequently turgid with a thin milk at their nativity and are furnished with nipples which erect on titillation like those of the female but which seem now to be of no further use owing perhaps to some change which these animals have undergone in the gradual progression of the formation of the earth and of all that inhabit it the seven last-mentioned senses may properly be termed appetites as they differ from those of touch sight hearing taste and smell in this respect that they are affected with pain as well by the defect of their objects as by the excess of them which is not so in the latter thus cold and hunger give us pain as well as an excess of heat or satiety but it is not so with darkness and silence Part nine. before we conclude this section on the organs of sense we must observe that as as far as we know there are many more senses than have been here mentioned as every gland seems to be influenced to separate from the blood or to observe from the cavities of the body or from the atmosphere its appropriated fluid by the stimulus of that fluid on the living gland and not by mechanical capillary absorption nor by chemical affinity hence it appears that each of these glands must have a peculiar organ to perceive these irritations but as these irritations are not succeeded by sensation they have not acquired the names of senses however when these glands are excited into motions stronger than usual either by the acrimony of their fluids or by their own irritability being much increased then the sensation of pain is produced in them as in all the other senses of the body and these pains are all of different kinds and hence the glands at this time really become each a different organ of sense though these different kinds of pain have acquired no names thus a great excess of light does not give the idea of light but of pain as in forcibly opening the eye when it is much inflamed the great excess of pressure or distention as when the point of a pen is pressed upon our skin produces pain and when this pain of the sense of distension is slighter it is termed itching or tickling without any idea of solidity or of figure an excess of heat produces smarting of cold another kind of pain it is probable by this sense of heat the pain produced by caustic bodies is perceived and of electricity as all these are fluids that permeate this or to compose the parts that feel them. End of section sixteen.